out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Well, that's a nice thought. Who knows? Thank you, Jim. Hello, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. This is a bit of a special one because this was an interview I did a few years ago with Pete Loveday, a British underground cartoonist who's very famous for his hippie character, Russell, the saga of a friendly man, which included the Big Bang comics, Big Trip, Travel Agency, Plane uh, Rapper comics, and much, much more. This is the interview, unedited, but still quality. And this is going to be the beginning. Enjoy. I think you will. Technology going wrong this morning, so this is a nice change. Oh, good. Did it get sorted out in the end? Um, I don't know. I didn't hang around for it. (laughs) Well, look, thank you ever so much, because we used to sort of, when we used to go to Glastonbury when we were younger, we used to always come and find your stall and buy the first copy of your various um, Russell books. Oh, right. And we even got quite a few signs saying first one sold so um we were very excited with the russell sagas actually so you can see that we were a bit obsessive but um yeah <laughs> and then and then i kind of was having a look you know to see what else had come out uh, over the few the past few decades and it's like oh my goodness this is all very exciting because it's quite a nice website now isn't there which you've got um yeah it's 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 a bit static though <laughs> it doesn't yes. get it doesn't get sorted enough um I mean, the the thing is, it was the guy who wanted to make a Russell film um, actually, well, I mean, actually, I set it up along with a friend who, who helps me in these difficult magical matters. But, yes. um, but I mean, he, he actually put the money up for it, and, and that was what it was supposed to be about. But uh, like most of these projects, you know, I'm not holding my breath. Oh dear! <laughs> yes. I, yeah, Although. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Not for long, anyway. Before fainting. But look, could you just tell us a bit about how you sort of got into, you know, art and comic, comic strips? Ah, uh, um, I, I think I was. I, oh, I don't think I've been born very long when I got into it. I mean, mm. as a small child, I just drew compulsively and. Um, I think I, it was before. I think it was before my first birthday. I managed to produce a drawing of a car that almost looked like it, and caused everyone to hold their hands up and admire. Beautiful. <laughs> Not that I remember it, but no. that was that's the story I was told. Maybe I was eighteen months. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, um, and it just went on from there, really, and. Um, I, I think I was probably, I don't know, it was before I was 10 I did my first comic strip that went on and on and on. And right. It was, um, it was a western. <laughs> and um, I, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I, I don't know how many pages of it. it, was, it I, I didn't have much idea of storytelling then. No, but you enjoyed the, the story, uh, you enjoyed the actual sort of drawing part of it anyway. Oh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole thing. I was obsessed with it. I, I, I didn't understand what happened to comic strips or anything. No. So what happened? I mean, obviously, you sort of veered in towards the counterculture of the 60s. So what was your sort of introduction to that world? Um, oh, 
I don't know, really. I mean, it was just there, wasn't it? Um, it was around. Yes. Um, I, I guess I'd... I sort of... I, I mean, I was aware of it all. Um, and... Um, I moved to the West Country from London. Right. Um, which probably took me away from the counterculture quite a bit. Was this in the 60s? Yeah. Right. And um, and I, I was doing more and more disturbingly badly paid labouring type jobs. And um, and I was actually, I, I, I was, um, yeah, I was working on a building site and I was driving the, the site bus across Bodmin Moor and and every morning I'd see this, this guy sitting in a a wheelchair outside his cottage, young guy, younger than I was I think. Right. And um one one of the one of the guys in the bus um said uh, told me about him and that he was someone who'd been working for the same <laughs> the same employer we were working for. Right. And a trench had fallen on him. And fallen in, and he'd been at the bottom of it, and he was never going to walk again. And he was sitting out there in this cottage in the middle of nowhere. Yes. <laughs> and it made me pretty determined to get out of out of labouring jobs. And um, and I, I mean, at the time, I was well, I was I wasn't so much painting because my hands were so messed up by a lot of physical labour. Yeah. Um, but I was I was making large scrap metal collages, which um, were I, I was selling um, from a, a pottery down at Boscastle Harbour in Cornwall, um, and um, uh, and everything was just sort of scrap metal. Yeah. You know, so it was all. I mean, it didn't cost very much to make them, and it, it made all the difference to a lousy labourer's wage um, to just flog a few of these. And was and, this kind of was this kind of the early seventies now? Um, no, this was still the sixties. Right. And um, yeah, it was late sixties, and I, I, uh, God, it's weird. Thinking back, it's really weird. Uh, I mean, now. Yes. <laughs> in those days, everybody, oh, I can't go to college unless I've got a grant. <laughs> How different things yes. are now. But we were softies. And um, so instead of going to, to art college, I, I, I went to a teacher training college. And um, some, somewhere along the line there, I got a bit waylaid by suddenly finding I was getting a real education and um, and ended up sort of after getting a B.Ed. Uh, disappearing off to uh, London University College of Education to, to to do an M.A. in Philosophy of Education, which was completely useless in terms of my career, my teaching career, yeah, and um, and completely useless as far as anybody else was concerned but I enjoyed that and um and and it, it was it was quite a trip really I mean I just suddenly discovered that while other people were were discovering the 60s belatedly 
Yeah. Um, I I I got into a sort of intellectual trip at that point, but unfortunately, it made me too um, too expensive to employ, really. Um, as a, a first timer, and I'd, I'd already got. Well, but by the time I'd I'd finished that, I'd got three kids, and um, and I wanted to move back to the West Country, and um, somehow I ended up um, in well in Peterborough of all places. Gosh. Um, uh, uh, teaching liberal studies, as everyone did in those days, who couldn't find a real teaching job. Right. At um, the uh, the local um, well it was a poly really but really, really it was a, a sort of jumped up technical college but I was living among a whole load of hippies there and um, yeah life sort of gradually sort of seeped in and so were you, were you starting to go to kind of festivals at this stage not at that stage I I was actually going through a, a rather sort of um, heavily political phase. And and I was um, I was a Trotskyite, and um, so was the was was the hippie thing almost bourgeois, you know, for um, somebody who was a bit of a trot. Um, I managed both. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was the trot on drugs. Oh, good, good, yes. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I was. I, I, I was discovering all sorts of different worlds there. Yeah. And the one thing I really did want to escape from was, was teaching liberal studies at the almost the, probably, the, I think it was the, the second most right-wing poly in the country. The the, the only one more, more horrendously fascist was the uh, one even further into the Fens, that um, the Wilt novels were based on. Right. Um, Tom Sharp, you know. Yes. And, um, but I was seeing sort of very, very similar things as far as the education aspect of it goes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, one day I, I saw a um, poster um, being offered. Uh, it was... Um, uh, artist in residence um, in uh, a pit village in Derbyshire. Mm. Um, a sort of overgrown, dying pit village that had just got its first wimpy estate and was going to become a, a dormitory area for Mansfield and places like that. And um, I didn't know anything um, about it. It was, it was, I mean, it was basically it was a community arts post. I knew nothing about community arts, yes. um, but I thought, I reckon if I applied for this with a comic strip, uh, I might just get it. Um, it was the first serious comic strip I'd done since I was a kid. <laughs> right. So what, what, so what was your inspiration for that one? You know, what did you go for? Uh, for that? Yes. What, the comic strip? Yeah. Um... It was just a job application, basically, with, with drawings. Um, but obviously, at this stage, Russell still hadn't been born. Well, he... No. He 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 was first born while I was there, um, while, while I was doing the community arts bit. And in the, uh, the South Normanton 
community newspaper, Russell appeared. Only he, he went at that point he, he went under the name of Jay and he had a different nose. Um right. and it was the first two pages of Big Bang One, effectively. Um Yes, because there was there was three of those, wasn't there? Because I seem to remember we went to Glastonbury and bought kind of these three, and they eventually came out in in sort of one easy to digest book. Um, yeah, well, the first two did, and then the third one came out with what would have been the fourth one. Yes, and there would have been a third easy to digest book, but there, there was a bit of a story behind that. Um, they they were published by John Brown Publishing. Um, basically out of the vast profits being made by Viz at that time. Right. And um, they, unfortunately, the third part of the, the Russell trilogy never happened because um, Viz started not to make quite so much money and John Brown decided that um, he, was, he, he couldn't give me a big enough advance to do the third one. Uh, it was a smaller advance, and so I just put together a load of other Russell strips that I'd already done for other things, and and some uh, and some new material, and that. That's, that's so when I, you when you sort of got Russell and you know thought this is this is the one. I mean, did it all kind of fall into place quite quickly? The stories, as well as all the characters within it. Um, well, the first one actually took quite a while because I'd. I'd burned myself out in Derbyshire <laughs> on this community arts project. Uh, did some really interesting things, some quite exciting things. Also did some dreadful things. Um, managed and and, um, and my wife had said, "Well, look, I'm going to take the kids and move back south. Uh, you can come if you want to." So, in a moment of panic, I, I managed to get a community arts job down in Devon. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, moved down here. And, I mean, actually, Russell didn't happen immediately then. Um, I, it's just, it, 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 it was a series of odd events. I, the, the woman who, who'd left and, and vacated the post that I took on, um, with the other woman who was working for this community arts project, they 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 intended to um, one day do a, a a coloring book about the royal family, um, a sort of satirical coloring book, and um, and I inherited that that dream, right? And so we we did this. Um, well, actually, by then it was Thatcher was in power, and so the we we did a a Maggie Thatcher coloring book as well. And these two coloring books were picked up by a publisher who who got everything all wrong, and um, he wanted wanted um, enlarged versions, and so we we turned them into sort of puzzles and games as well as colouring sort of books and 
Nice. And the, the, the you know, and it should have worked out nicely because W. H. Smith decided to take them on, so it should have been a, a nice big sort of deal. And it was the time of the the first great round of urban riots. Yes. Uh, and so that that sort of made these a bit more political. Uh, particularly the Maggie Thatcher one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Some of the ideas that we'd we decided we wouldn't use in the the original one because they were perhaps too confrontational. We thought, well, you know, we haven't got time. We've got a bloody community arts project to work on. <laughs> let's 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 chuck them in here and enlarge it. <laughs> Uh, which we did, and the uh, W.H. Smith didn't really understand what they had. The branches, of course, were all sort of given them, you know, the way Smiths work, very centralised, managers having no say. Yeah. And they weren't really looked at. And all over the country, they were being put on the children's shelves or the royals' bookshelves. Yeah, and um, it was only in the, the the one the branch nearest the the LSE, which of course in those days was quite a political little spot, um, who really uh, the manager really knew what he had, and he he did a <laughs> a double window <laughs> filled with them, and uh, sold the lot. Fantastic. But elsewhere throughout the country, there were complaints and cries of horror, and and the publisher had he'd already before they'd been sent out had really I mean it was a small, very small publisher. He he sort of realised what had happened. He just phoned us and only said two words, "You sods," and and that was it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brilliant. But uh, after that, we we brought we decided that we got the bug of self-publishing. We went back to the self-publishing aspect, and and did a a very small comic book between us. And then then our ways parted a bit, and she she stayed with working with kids, and I just wanted to I wanted to get out of of that as well. I've I've never been good at being employed, so I'm. Russell. Russell. Russell sort of happened. But, I mean, he happened. He wouldn't have happened, I don't think, except that I went through a huge state of clinical depression. I had a, a massive midlife crisis, and it took quite a long time for, for Russell to get get dealt with. But eventually he came out with the new nose because... Yes. Uh, the original one I, I couldn't draw from in profile. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I could draw it in, sorry, I could draw it in profile. I couldn't draw it from the front. Um, but I, I replaced it with another nose that was equally difficult to draw from the front. So. And was and were the stories that you started to, to develop for uh, Russell, were they quite straightforward? Did you sort of just have to draw on your own experiences? Um, yeah, mine and other people's and... Yeah, I, I don't know. Was, well, I mean, once I'd started doing the stalls at Glastonbury, I mean, that became such a such a, a, a joyful part of my life. Yeah. And um, and that really, that threw up a lot of stories. 
Because obviously the festival, I mean, you must have seen how the festival period altered so much from the seven, <laughs> yeah. seven, 70s to 80s, because it's very, a very different kind of beast now, isn't it? It but, certainly is. Whereas I remember sort of during the 70s here, we had the Albion fairs and Barsham fairs, and they were all sort of rather wooden and uh, a bit... They weren't just about sort of the main stage and bands. There was no, no. an awful lot about sort of just dressing up in medieval gear and sort of running around and yeah. and lots of sort of you know, ranty poets and um, sort of odd plays and odd characters that just came out of the woodwork yeah. or the mud, really, in some cases. And um, so they, you know, they were kind of a quite a, I wouldn't say, they were just different. They were just a very different adventure then. Yes, they, 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 were, they, they, they were quite naive sort of events in a way and, and quite sincere. And, and I think it was lovely. Um, but... I mean, it was odd. I mean, one of the, one of the uh, the classic ones um, was Elephant Fair, and I'd already been doing Glastonbury for a few years, and somebody said you've got to go to Elephant Fair. It's just like Glastonbury, but more the way it used to be. Um, and so I did a stall there, and it was it was the last Elephant Fair because the um, uh, the convoy arrived in force. Right. Absolutely overwhelmed the festival. I had a brilliant time. I had a really great time, but it was um, it was not as expected. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting because I think most of those fairs from the seventies just couldn't cope with the convoy. Which no. is like they just didn't have any way of dealing with this kind of problem and especially it wasn't just the festival it was the fact that people then didn't leave once yes, everybody absolutely. once everybody wants to sort of uh yes go home and they suddenly they're going oh dear we still got all these travelers on site so i suppose that's where there was a sort of a period in the 80s where the festivals slightly sort of just stopped because nobody was prepared to um yeah i mean eventually it. it was glastonbury really carrying the torch and they they were having a lot of problems but it did make for a did make for good material for comics. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, with Russell, you also were picking up with his story an awful lot of the, the political time with sort of the the uh, sort of feminist movement as well, as well as the drug movement. Mm. So did you? Were you sort of also part? Of, was this also part of your own life? Well, it was really because I'd been working for um, this community arts project, which covered the whole of North Devon. I mean, at my the, the local women's refuge. There, there were two men who were were, were sort of classed as honorary women, um, in that they were allowed inside and and could carry heavy objects in upstairs and things, with, which was a, a minor part of the job because mm. the the woman who was running it was well capable of carrying a sofa upstairs by herself. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was it was me and one policeman. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I did see a bit of that, and, and I mean, like all these things, I, I mean, like almost everything in in life, um, there were times when it turned very sour, and and sort of weird things happened. And I watched a feminist group, that, a women's group, that um, became more and more hysterical I, mean, I mustn't use that word really because of course it means hysteria refers to the womb doesn't it but you know they became more and more intense and cult like and 
probably yeah they're, they're more political members just left right and uh, it ended up with with the the husband of, of one of the members um leaping off a cliff with a child in his arms uh, i mean it it was it was it was horrendous you know yes just, absolutely well awful and and seeing that how how things that were were really that had a wonderful intention behind them um could go awry. It's, it's always been my view of life, anyway. But. Well, I think sometimes you always think, "Oh, that's going to end in tears," and often, yeah. and often you're quite right. It yeah, does. and it, of course that often happened with festivals. Yes, that was um, unfortunate. So with Russell, I mean, obviously he's he's been with you all the time. Have there have there pe- been periods where you've had a break from each other, a bit of a um, sort of? Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, um, throughout the nineties. Um, he was dwindling. Um, I, I mean, they, they were AK Press who who were publishing him. I mean, they were absolute gems. They really were. They stuck with him, but eventually, even they had to admit that it was getting a bit a bit of a problem. And of course, I wasn't really making any money out of him. I, I wasn't being. I wasn't getting any any money from them. They were yes. just letting me. They were just printing the comics and and letting me have some cheap. You know, right? <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't a going concern. And um, so, the, the the first few years of of this century, really. I, I mean, I I was I was having very little to do with Russell. Every now and then. He'd be dusted off, and he'd come out in some magazine. It'd either be, part of, you know, some some hash and hemp publication or some political publication or, or whatever. He'd he'd, he'd appear in it, and he's. I mean, he certainly ranged widely yeah. as far as the <laughs> the ideology of the the publications he's appeared in. Because <laughs> there was there was I remember once seeing some magazine and and your there was a little feature and you'd got commissioned to do a bit for Nike as well, didn't you? Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was kind of like we all had to stop and sort of like what. Yeah, you know, and that must be a different Pete Loveday. But it's like, how many people have got that name? You know, it's like, no, that is Pete Loveday. Yeah, and it was pretty obvious that the artwork was mine. Yes, it, it, it was interesting because it was a major, um, the major advertising agency. Yes, and um, I mean, it was it was an odd thing, and it was actually someone someone that um, who who. Worked on the um, on the program at Glastonbury Festival had had been approached by this this agency because Nike wanted something sort of very festivalish, and um, they <laughs> yeah the whole thing's mad. Yes. Um, yeah, he he very very generously passed them on to me. And I, I was sort of totally bewildered by the whole thing when it first. And I thought, you know, well, how do I feel about this morally? Because at that time, Nike were the very much the the bad boys of the the sportswear 
their scene. Yes. Um, actually, of course, they weren't any worse than any of the others. They just yes. didn't have Better. quite such sort of hypocritical views. <laughs> but they, they wanted to... I think what I did was... Um, they, they were for um, design for billboards in London um, to, to go up during the London Marathon plus some, a couple of smaller pieces to be used in bus shelters and on underground stations. And Nike, be honest, I think they, they were basically trying to give the impression that they were major funders of the London Marathon. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, be that as it may, uh, this, this fascinating situation developed in which um the 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 Nike um executives in this country were getting or those that were involved in this were getting jolly excited about it all and they were they were getting in touch with the advertising agency and saying things like Tell him to make it really, really druggy <laughs> Um so I did. Um which would be my intention anyway, I think. Um, I, I just wanted something that I just wanted some lurid anarchic stuff plastered mm. up just for the sheer hell of it, and uh, and then um, the uh, the American offices, <laughs> the the big boys, the grown ups, they they began to realise what was going on, and they were horrified, and uh, it was a miracle it happened at all, really. Well, fantastic. Because I remember many decades ago, suddenly seeing a picture at Stone of, of I think this was the Halifax Building Society, and there was Sid Rules in the middle of this kind of crowd of people. And I think they just wanted something that, you know, some slogan like, we're all in it together, or we, we, yeah, we could, you know, and there was Sid. And I think he wanted to sue them. And they said, well, actually, you know, we don't think you're any special. But obviously, he thought he was the king of the hippies. As, you know. uh, he did rather, yes, yes. So, so in a way, he, you know, they had picked somebody that was a little bit more well-known. But I don't think he was able to sue them because I think there was something about... No, I shouldn't think so. But I think he wanted suddenly, like, that's my image. You're just stuck there on all these billboards. But again, every time I bike past these for about a month, I just couldn't take my eyes off. I'm amazed I didn't crash because I thought, God, that's Sid Rules at Glastonbury. Um, Stonehenge kind of giving it one of his big moments of um, I'm king of the hippies. As, yeah, um, very hard there. It was, it was, it was <laughs> just like, I mean, you know, I had to go home and tell us many people as possible because no one would believe me but um again yes these things do happen so what are you all what's your sort of because actually there are two other things that we got which we tried to digest but um they were quite intense there was your hemp special uh special and there was also an environmental one wasn't ah, there? ah well? yes well yeah the, the plain wrapper the, the yeah. there was going to be a third one but i'm glad there never was because they were hard work yeah they were strange things the the, the both of them actually were were being. Oh, I I was being fueled up by somebody who he he was. Um, I don't know. He he was a bit of a guru for a lot of people. Um, he, he was a guy who had. Um, this well, he discovered all sorts of things in his life that. Um, he hadn't originally been anywhere near, and um, I mean, he'd been originally um, 
be a, a wireless officer on a, in the merchant navy, and um, yeah, he uh, someone gave him some hemp seeds, and he was he was on shore leave and and planted them and grew some very big, really? <laughs> very big plants and um, and he uh, yeah he he fell foul of the law and his life changed and. He sort of dropped out, um, or was pushed out, shall we say, and and so the, with the first one, it was it was um, all his his environmental musings, and he he was sending me loads and loads of stuff, yeah. um, some of it really sound stuff, some of it completely crackpot, and I. Was just putting everything together to 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 produce this spoof theory, because um, of course this was before global warming had become the slogan. Yeah. And it was while um, there there was still a um, a real fear among obscure fringe scientists that uh, um, uh, about the the dangers of an ice age. And so the whole thing was, there was a lot of accurate stuff in it, but there was a lot of inaccurate stuff. And and my, the theory I put together was just just loony, you know, um, really. It was a it was a joke, but I I don't think most people quite understood that. Right. <laughs> I mean, I did get stories being brought back of people who bought bought the first one at a festival. Um, one guy in particular, his friends lost him. He he read it and then he ran out of the tent, out of his head, obviously. Yes. Um, and uh, and they they didn't see him until, well, I presume they saw him when they got home. <laughs> I don't know. He, he just ran actually, away. There was one of yours which I can't remember. It wasn't the Big Bang, but you had a character from Glastonbury, I think, called Charlie Barley in it. Oh. Harley Charlie. Harley Charlie. But I remember Char a guy called Charlie Barley in Glastonbury who was the dope dealer. But was the? he? <laughs> Charlie Barley. A dope dealer. Indeed, the dope dealer. <laughs> I think he liked to think he was the dope dealer. But, did, but was he based on Charlie Barley? No, no. He was actually based on a friend of mine who um, I, ne I never actually told him it was him. Um Probably but, best. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was a very much that sort of cheerful, sort of um, yeah, sort of heavy biker who who just sort of beached up somewhere. Right. <laughs> but I'm, I mean, I, I I still see him, and I've never told him. Just as I've never told. Well, there were two people that Russell was based on. Right. And one of them I lost touch with, so it doesn't really matter. And the other one, um, well, he, he he's living a very straight life in a very straight country. And <laughs> he, he'd be horrified if he realised he was a part of the input. Oh, nice. So what's your plans at the moment? What are you, what's your work at the moment on the graphic novel front? On the graphic novel front? Well, there there is... Oh, God, this is awful. My health's been so crap for so long now i mean i'm well, i'm 73 and i'm 
I'm, I, I haven't really looked after myself enough. Yes. <laughs> and there are various things going wrong. And um, particularly around my eyes, um, I've had eye problems massively. Yeah. Um, and so everything sort of gets slowed down. And for about the past three years, I've been intending to get on with this comic, and I, I haven't. <laughs> I've made a start on the cover. <laughs> That's where I'm at with it. But it's um, yeah, it was only a few years ago. People thought three or four years ago. Now I've lost track. But um, that I did the first Russell comic for a very long time. And, yeah. uh, as it includes the um, the uh, the. Um, serial that was had been running through earlier big trip comics. It finished that. Now, I mean, <laughs> the last the last episode, the previous episode of that had been in the law the previous century. So, <laughs> I yeah, it was a bad bad move. That really. I mean, who remembers? But anyway, it, uh, it, that came out. But I I had this this new comic idea and uh, it's on the website there the uh, uh, my hopeful thing about doing it now um, so which ones because I could see you've got your big trip six which came out a few years ago yeah that's that's the one that finished off the the serial um, is that still available oh yeah yeah and that's available from you yeah, yeah. Oh, I have to, because um, I'm a bit of a completist, so I've got most of the things on the website apart from that. And I've got various big trips up to six, I think. Yeah, well, well, yeah, I'm sure we can oh. find you a copy of that. Oh, that's good. So this latest one, is is it true? Well, this, this latest one is called Russell and the Magic Wristband, or it will be if I live long enough to do it or I don't sort of collapse completely and just find that I'm staring into space and mumbling in a senile manner, which I do anyway. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that um, th th this is very much um, one of its themes uh, is, is a bit of a, a retrospective look at, at festivals. Oh, excellent. And um, will include a lot of the stories that I, I never did anything about. And and one of the things that that really pushed me on this, I mean, <laughs> the um, the the previous one, Big Trip Six, I I dedicated to an old friend who'd just died, and who'd been a, a massive figure on, on the, the sort of second generation hippie scene and the first one really I suppose a guy Fraser Clark who Oh yes I interviewed Fraser but that was decades ago when he was doing a magazine or something he put a publication Yeah the Encyclopedia Psychedelica God that's it Yeah and I mean I, I did stuff in there for him Right and, uh, and then he'd yeah become a an entrepreneur for a bit. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, that, 
and I, I was very aware that you know it made me aware that time was passing, that he died, and I was, and I, I'd always intended him uh, to finish off a, a whole load of Russell stuff, and uh, and he was he was teasing me about how he'd be dead before it happened, and as it happened, that turned out like that. Right. So. Um, another friend who I'd always intended to put in a comic, I mean, a rather closer friend in many ways, um, and a more bizarre person. Um, I, I mean, he, he'd contracted a variety of tumours. Do you call it contracting? I don't know if you do contract them. You just have them. You just are them. You are them, yes. And he... Uh, yeah, he 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 remained um, the ultimate eccentric, more or less, to the end. And um, I mean, he was a guy who who never ne he never found time to watch much television. But once he once he got cancer and had to slow down a bit, um, someone introduced him to Breaking Bad. Oh yes, and he did the classic thing of, you know, the a week of of Breaking Bad right through the whole series, and uh, at the end of the week he he'd he'd established such an affinity <laughs> with it that he he bought himself a black hat and gradually assembled the complete outfit and um, yeah he he took on the the whole persona visibly. I hadn't seen him for quite a long time, and he got in touch with me, and and we arranged to to meet in a pub in Ulfracombe Harbour, and I was sitting there thinking, oh God, I haven't seen him for some time, and you know he's knowing how quickly these things can happen. I remember the time when I'd I'd seen a friend who I hadn't seen for a couple of months, and and he had terminal cancer and 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 I just didn't recognize him literally I mean it was it was really embarrassing so I was sitting in this pub thinking I hope I recognize him and then suddenly this figure in a dressed in black <laughs> appeared in the doorway I mean it, it was just quite something so I, I I thought yeah I've got to uh I, I've got to dedicate the next comic to him, and I've got to have some of the stories that um, that he has lived. Yes. Uh, and I, he's got to be a friend of Russell. Oh, excellent. So so this will be going in there, um, and I've got to do it somehow. And the trouble is, I mean, my eyes are in such a mess these days. I find it really slow to do everything. Is it the case that you just have to spend a bit of time resting between drawing? Yeah, and hoping nothing weird's going to happen. I, I mean, the the whole problem was, I'd, I mean, the first the first real problem was actually sort of I was born with very short sight. Um, but that's no problem. So you know, I I developed this style of drawing that's very meticulous and detailed, and I do it with my nose yes. really close to the paper, and uh, and the the same goes for the painting very largely, and and it's what people expect from me. So so that's what I have to do. But then 
Um, the first real trauma for my eyes was, um, well, I was giving a lift to a guy who who was causing a lot of trouble. Um, I wanted to get him out of the village. Um, he turned up and he was threatening his ex-wife and her, her and their their daughter was really frightened and and then he was well he was pissing all over a, a neighbor's garden and and disturbing the the lady who lived there and her husband was waiting for a you know, some heart operation and was likely to lose his temper and suddenly have a heart attack and I thought I'm going to get this guy out of the village so I, I, it was it was evening, and I was driving him into the nearest town, Barnstable. Um, and um, there, there's a long, windy hill down out of our village. And uh, in, somewhere on this hill, um, God told this guy to hit me in the eye. Well, he told me to hit me, basically. Um, it was a confusing message, I think, because afterwards I discovered it was because well, it was one of three things. I was either an undercover CID man, or I was an alien, or I was the leader of the coven that was abusing his children. Mm. Um, but anyway, God said it, so you know you don't argue with that. So he he hit me with um, a roller blade that he was holding at the time. He was got a roller blades with him and um, and this caused some problems um, it could have caused them obviously we could both have died at that moment if there'd been oncoming traffic and I'd been driving faster but um, anyway to cut a long story short um, I eventually I, I, I spent six weeks um, flat on my back with my eye covered um, well, they they let the blood drain out of it to the point where they knew that I wasn't going to lose the eye, which was a great rest, I have to say. I mean, it was brilliant. Yes. Um, and I, I I was pretty sure I wasn't going to lose my eye. What I didn't anticipate, though, was that probably as a, as a direct result of this, I developed double vision, which got worse and worse. Um, and eventually... I had to have a, a rather expensive pair of glasses to correct that. Um, then the next thing was that I, and probably nothing to do with that, I then de developed cataracts as well as lots of headaches, which were a direct result of that. Um, and, um, and at the time, um, the member... Uh, one of my kids was had cancer, and and um, this returned, and I wanted to be able to get down and see them as quickly as possible, and um, if any anything became too urgent, obviously, and anything that gave me better eyesight and would enable me to um, to drive better and faster. Uh, <laughs> Seemed like a good idea, and the the surgeon suggested that I could have my sight corrected um, while while having this operation. And 
and and I mean they did a brilliant job and it, it was magical for the first time I could see without I mean with with the first eye um I actually managed to see across the the valley from the back of my place um I could see deer moving um across a field oh, wonderful you know I was absolutely hyped up about it but then gradually it became apparent that my um, my brain couldn't deal with my new eyesight. Oh, no. <laughs> and so everything's got a bit slowed down. But, you know, it, it, it is basically, it, it, you know, I was just too old after 70. It's, it, it's a bit difficult to learn those sorts of new tricks, especially when it's, you know, it's, a, it's not a conscious matter. No. Come but on. it does mean that I take, probably three or four times as long to do anything and I get moments of impatience and uh, moments of despair and moments of losing it completely and you know, there's a sort of visual block. And now, the <laughs> just to add insult to injury, I, I'm now getting um, occasional... Um, visual disturbances which I, I don't know whether they're they're anything to do with that or whether it's something else but they're they're sort of they're a migraine related sort of thing so oh. that slowed it down even more on occasions yeah well it does um, yes i know it's the joy of age really isn't it really it is it's such fun it's such fun you never expect these things when yeah. you're quite young so i mean I, i'm taking my revenge in a way i mean russell is having to deal with old age as well i've i'm not doing that thing where your comic character remains about the same age <laughs> yes well that's good, that's good. <laughs> he's he's not quite as old as me Yes. And um, I'm not sure. In some ways, he's probably in better shape. In some ways, in a shape. <laughs> well, look, Pete. Thank you ever so much for giving me some time for this. Because um, I'll get a little feature for our little show, which we do on Future Radio. And when I do, I'll um, yes, I'll give you a, a shout so you can have a listen. I'll put put it as a podcast as well. But that'll be amazing. But thank you ever so much for giving me the time. Okay. And um, like I said, you know, uh, yes, I have to send you a picture of the some of the those ones that you signed saying first copy sold. So um, yeah, do you know I mean, this is dreadful, but I I can't remember. I, I I mean very vaguely, this stirs a memory of somebody who who did get who who wanted to have the first the first copy and did a turn turn up again. Oh well, it could have been so me. That must have been you. It might have been me. I'll, I'll, I'll find them because I've got them upstairs, all beautifully kept. So, yes. Well, perhaps I lied, and, and someone else had the first copy, and I just said it was. Yes. Her. Well, I, I don't blame you actually. <laughs> Who it's, knows? You, I mean, just quite honestly, I, I mean, it's mad me doing a, a comic based on memories of festivals because my memories are so confused and there are all sorts of good reasons for that yes i know this is good <laughs> anyway look pete thanks ever so much okay and I'll, and I'll let you go but have a great day and i'll keep in touch okay i hope some of that was useful it was fantastic thanks ever so much okay take care bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.